You're listening to Rabbi Arya Wolby, Director of Torch, the Torah Outreach Resource Center of Houston. This is the Jewish Inspiration Podcast. This is Do You Trust God? Part 4. Let's just do a quick summary. Number one is we discuss the overall principle of what is bitachon. Bitachon means not believing in God, but 100% reliance on God. Now, obviously, I'm saying 100%, but it's not natural for us to be 100% reliant on God. It takes a lot of work, a lot of hard work to get to a point where we have 100% reliance on Hashem, where we're confident, and we're going to talk a lot about this, we're confident that A, He has the ability to do anything, and number and B, He will do what is best for us. It doesn't mean that you combine them. I mean, if, God forbid, someone is ill, they're like, oh, I have full trust in Hashem that He will heal that person. That's not correct. I have full trust in Hashem that He can do anything. And part two, and we're going to see this, this is what we learned last week, we're going to, part two is that I accept whatever he does do. But number one is that I rely on Hashem 100% that he will do what is right. And he can do anything. No limitations. So, we mentioned that there was a three-step process. Number one is tranquility of the soul. I would say that that's even the benefit of bitachon. Bitachon is trusting in Hashem, gives you tranquility of the soul. If you see someone who's in fear, you see someone who's in anxious, who is anxious or worried, you're also seeing someone who is lacking in bitachon. I'm talking about ourselves. If we have a worry, we're lacking on bitachon. We're trying to carry the burden of the world on our own back. We're trying to take care of all the issues of the world ourselves and not have any reliance on Hashem. Big problem. Big mistake. Number two is leaning on Hashem. Lean on Hashem. You know that game, it's called, uh, what is it called? The trust, where you, you push the person backwards and they have to catch the person, right? Now, a human being, even if you trust them, can drop you, they can lose a grip, they can you know lose their own balance. Hashem doesn't. And Hashem is always there to catch us. He's always there to take care of us. Now, last week we focused a lot on the before and after something happens. We talked about the before the fact and after the fact. What's our perspective supposed to be before the fact? Before the fact means, let's say you want to win the lottery. It was a $2 billion lottery last week, and you buy the ticket, Phil, and you're like, ah, I'm going to win that lottery because I have full trust in Hashem that I'm going to win the lottery. That's the wrong trust. Before the fact, trust is supposed to be that Hashem will do what is best. Hashem will do what is best. The after the fact, Bitachon, is that I accept what Hashem has decided. Two very different parts of Bitachon. Number one, is that Hashem will do what is best. Hashem is capable of anything, but He will do what is best. And number two, after the fact, is I accept with love what Hashem has done, what Hashem has decided. I want to share with you a story. I prefaced this class by telling you 
that we launched the new Torch Dallas Center. And it's really exciting. But one of the challenges that we had is that for several weeks we've been negotiating with a facility and to open up the new center. And we haven't gotten back the contract yet. And like the day is nearing and I keep on calling my Rabbi Epstein in Dallas. And I'm like, Rabbi Epstein, did we get the signed contract? Can we move in? Because we're publicizing this event, which thank God had a very nice turnout. And we're publicizing the event and people are going to be coming to a location that doesn't have a torch center. So we got to get this contract back. They're not going to give us the, the keys to open the place either way. This was Friday before Shabbos. He says to me, I need to get a, uh, I need to get an insurance, uh, liability, con- uh, uh, insurance for the, for the facility. I need to have the name of the location on it. And we're working through it. Bottom line is we were not able to secure that insurance prior to this event. And then Saturday night, we're emailing back and forth with the, with the, uh, landlord, not the landlord, but the, uh, the, the realtor, and he's like, you're not going to be able to move in without this certificate of insurance, and there's nothing to talk about. The landlord will not allow you in there before you have that. And I am usually the optimist. I'm usually the crazy, insane, illogical optimist. It's going to work out. Don't worry about it. But this time I had to be the adult in the room. I'm like, you know, we should really have a backup plan. Because, you know, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? We don't have this certificate of occupancy, of a uh, uh, certificate of insurance, and they're not going to let us go in there, even temporarily, to use a space if we don't have that document. We made it very, very clear in all the emails. And what are we going to do? And what are we going to do? And what are we going to do? We should have a backup line. And now it's already getting 12 o'clock on Sunday afternoon and 1 o'clock and 2 o'clock. At 7.30 is the event, and it's getting 3 o'clock, and I'm like, I, I think we should figure out a solution. So he says, okay, I'm going to call up a few synagogues and see if they would let us use their social hall, and he made a few phone calls, and he found a few options. So we do have a backup last-minute location just in case. I'm like, yeah, I think we should. At 5 o'clock, we get an email from the guy. He's like, you know what? I, I don't know why I've been such a stickler about this certificate of insurance. You guys can use it tonight. I have no problem. And we were there. And I felt like this Bitachon class is so apropos because we need to have proper trust in Hashem. We need to have a a complete and total dedication to the will of Hashem. And that the will of Hashem is our wish. The will of Hashem is exactly what's going to happen. And we have to put our complete trust in Hashem that He will do what is best. He knows what is best. And after the fact, guess what? We accept whatever Hashem does. So now, all of this, for those of you who are just tuning in now, what we said in class one, two, and three of this series is that this all lies on the premise that one has proper emunah. If one has emunah, which means knowledge of Hashem, that means you first have to have knowledge of Hashem. You have to be firm in your steadfast knowledge that Hashem is there and that Hashem is akol Hashem is capable of everything. 
He was, he is, and he will be. Not a leap of faith. Not I believe. No, no, no. Knowledge. You have to have clear knowledge and bring that knowledge into your heart. Now that we have knowledge, we can take it to the level of trust. What's the level of trust? That God is capable of anything and everything, and he will do for me exactly what is appropriate. And I rely on him for everything. We mentioned, Hashem li lo yira. If I have a clarity that Hashem is with me, I have nothing to fear. I have nothing to be worried about. Why? Because Hashem is going to take care of me, just like a father, a mother, take care of their young, take care of their child. And by the way, this is not only with human beings. Look at how a cat will take care of their little kitten. Look how a dog will take care of their little puppy. A lion will take care of their little cub. They'll protect them. They'll defend them. They'll nurture them. They'll give them everything they need. Hashem will always take care of us. All we need to do is unplug from our worries and allow Hashem to carry that burden for us. There's no need. You know, they say about marriage is that men should just forget their mistakes because there's no use in two people remembering the same thing. I say the same thing is with worry. There's no need for two entities to carry the same thing. Let Hashem carry it and you just walk around scot-free. You just don't worry. Don't worry, and let Hashem carry it for you. In the bottom of page 30, work for free, eat for free. Rabbi Nachman of Breslov passed away in 1810. Shares the following story. He once told a delightful parable about how a person's work and a person's livelihood have nothing to do with one another. Now, we always assume that the harder I work, the more money I'll make. Wrong wrong. It is patently false, that notion of the harder you work, the greater your livelihood will be. So here is the story. A starving drifter wandered into town. The first passerby that he encountered, he asked and said, help me, please, I'm starving to death. I haven't eaten in almost three days. The passerby said, no problem, walk to the top of the hill, you'll see two mansions. The one on the right belongs to a benefactor who operates a free soup kitchen. The one on the left belongs to the town miser. Don't even knock on his door. Panting and exhausted, the poor man barely ascended the hill. Fatigued, hungry, and disoriented, he forgot which mansion belonged to whom. Knocking at the door of the mansion of the left side of the street. The drifter begged for food. Come to the backyard, said the sly miser. He escorted the hapless beggar to the backyard where there was a big pile of thick logs. He put an axe in the beggar's hand and said, In our province, we work for a living. Split these logs into firewood and you'll get all you can eat and drink. The drifter protested. You don't understand. I'm starving. I haven't eaten a thing in nearly three days. On his way back into the mansion, the miser called over his shoulder. If you want to eat, you have to work. Knock on my door. 
when you're finished. For three hours, the poor drifter hacked away at the woodpile. His palms were blistered and bloody. His back screamed out of anguish and his body hurt all over. He knocked on the back door of the mansion and told the miser that he had finished the work. Go across the street and you can get all the food you want. The miser hissed through a nasty smirk. Too weary to realize that he had been tricked, the poor man, now even more miserable and soaking in sweat, walked across the street and pounded on the front door. Accustomed to the coarse demeanor of many of those who frequented his soup kitchen, the rich benefactor personally directed the drifter to the table, gave him a carafe of water, half a loaf of bread, and a bowl of thick and piping hot potato soup. In the blink of an eye, the drifter's plate was empty. He banged on the table and yelled, More bread! More soup! And bring me more water, too! The benefactor said calmly, Sir, there's no need to yell and no need to bang on the table. You can eat as much as you want. Is this all I get? roared the drifter. Soup and black bread? Where's the meat? This is a soup kitchen, sir. What do you mean? I worked for this food. I deserve more and better. What do you mean, sir? asked the benefactor. Look at my blisters and bloody palms, said the drifter. I chopped wood for three hours across the street to earn this meal. The benefactor nodded in understanding, realizing that the wicked miser across the street had so cruelly taken advantage of the poor drifter. Reb Nachman concludes his parable by telling us that the benefactor informed the drifter, just as you worked for nothing across the street, you eat for nothing in my soup kitchen. This is not just a parable, but a fact of life that is concealed from those who don't look at the world through the eyes of Bitachon. Let's repeat that phrase again. Just as you work for nothing across the street, you eat for nothing in my soup kitchen. What life really is, is we're that person chopping that wood, expecting that we're going to get a result, and we don't. We go to the kitchen across the street, and we don't pay for our food. We get it for free. Let me give you an example here. You work hard trying to sell a product, whatever the product is. And you make phone calls and phone calls and phone calls and phone calls. And you keep on your email, and today it's all in internet advertising, web ads, and you try to do Google ads, and you try to do, you know, to get your number of the highest on Google uh, search, search results. And you work so hard to hopefully succeed at making the most sales. Yet, when you make the business and you start closing deals and money starts coming in, you learn that they didn't even come from those search engines. They didn't even come from all of the phone calls that you made. I have a guy who sits here every week at class and he goes to all of these conferences, to all of these shows, you know, where his industry gets together. And he gives out his business card, a, a thousand business cards throughout the three days in Vegas. There, you know, one after another, every person he's given out a business card. And I ask him, how much business do you get from those shows? The answer, zero. Zero. 
But here's the amazing thing. That's where he has to put forward the effort. Where the business comes from. This guy tells the next guy who tells the next guy, I heard of a guy who he met who's a good guy, and that guy calls him. Or it's the the previous, meaning what you're doing is with all of this effort is you're opening up doors, you're creating a vessel. Now, last week after class, I remember I mentioned last week that the more bitachon one has, the higher one's trust in Hashem, the less effort that is required. And it's a sliding scale. If you have less trust in Hashem, you have to do more effort. You have less trust in Hashem, more effort. Less trust in Hashem, no trust at all, all effort. And slide back up. You have a lot of trust in God, all trust, 100% trust. Zero effort is required. Zero. Not even creating a vessel, because we said you have to have some level of hishtadlut, of effort, so that you create a vessel that blessing can come into. So I asked my rabbi about this. I said, look, I haven't seen this written in the book, but this is my understanding. Is my understanding correct? He said, 100% it's correct. Not only that, and then he added that, he added that part, that if someone has 100% trust, they don't even need the vessel. But 100% trust, not 98%. 100% trust means someone asks you, so how are you going to pay your bills? I mean, come on, if you don't get a job, if you're not going to go to work, you're not going to be able to pay your bills. Well, there's a, there's a lack of trust in that question. If a person says, well, Hashem is going to pay for it. I asked my rabbi of blessed memory. He had 13 children. And he married off all of his children. In Israel, the custom is is that the father of the bride buys the couple an apartment. Now, I don't know about you, but buying an apartment in Israel for a couple is very, very pricey. It's expensive. And it's not easy. So I asked him, how do you do it? How do you marry a few children like that? To which he said, I write a check. I'm like, what do you, what do you mean you write a check? Don't you have to cover that check? He says, every time there's a miracle that replenishes. Every single time. He's never had to think twice about it. Never. He writes the check. Where it's coming from? I've got no idea. That's Hashem's problem. I have complete and total reliance on Hashem. Now, that doesn't mean that every person just has to trust on Hashem and they're going to get whatever they want. Like, you buy the lottery tickets and you're going to win. No, not necessarily. Hashem could also consider that it's not the right thing for you. And if it's not the right thing for you, it's not going to happen. And over here in this parable that Rav Nachman is teaching us, it's very clear that, you know what? Where did you get all your food from? Oh, you got it for free. Where did he get his work from? He got it for free too. The work is free. The food is free. But but what do you mean? Someone's got to do work. Yeah, the people who don't have 100% trust. Get a day job. But if someone actually does have 100% pitachon, I'm talking about not 
yeah, I believe, I trust, yeah. We'll see. We'll check it out. We'll, tr- we'll test God. That's not, that's not trust. Trust is that you have 100% confidence that the right thing will happen. And that God can, can and will do whatever is appropriate for you. We're in this class to work on our bitachon. Collectively, each and every one of us have our own areas. To you, it might be clear in a specific area, but to the rest of us, it might be an area that's hidden from us where this, I'm not giving it, putting it in anyone's hands because I got to manage this myself. You hear people say that. Well, we all have things that we're sticklers that we need to make sure this I take care of because otherwise it's not going to happen or otherwise it's not. With proper bitachon, with proper trust in Hashem, it will happen and it'll happen in the best possible way. It's just like that key that we needed to get before that event on Sunday. Hashem was taking care of it. He had it all taken care of. Hashem could, because here's the thing, think of it like this. The realtor could have emailed last Tuesday and said, oh, it's not a problem. You guys can use the facility without it. But before you actually move in, you should have the insurance. What Today it was taken care of. But, but the idea is that he could have said that on Tuesday, last week. But he didn't. Why? Because Hashem didn't want him to. Hashem says, I want to see this little boy, Arya Wolby from Houston. Let's see if he knows how to have proper trust. After having a class like this, he should put 100% trust in me. Ah, he's got some improvement to do. He's got some work. You see, we're on the same page, Alex. You see? We're all on the same page. It's not easy. It's not easy to let go and to put, and to put everything into the hand of Hashem. It's very challenging. Right. But had I thought of it in the lens of, of Emuna and Bitachon, I wouldn't have needed a backup plan. A backup plan is for the low of trust. Okay? It's for the low. No, because that's the Hishtadlus, because it was lacking in, in Bitachon. Oh, so I need to have a backup plan. No, if you would have had 100% Bitachon, you wouldn't have needed a backup plan. That's the point. Right, so it, it's very difficult to say grand opening event, uh, but we're going to be three blocks down on the left side because our place is not ready yet. Yeah, so it's a little. It would be a challenge for uh, for it to be uh, an effective opening event in a place that's not opening. Right, right. But is a backup plan? Is a backup plan a lack of vita home? We're not talking reckless. Yes, you must put your seatbelt on, not only because it's safe and the Torah tells you to protect yourself, but it's also the law, and you have to follow the law. Okay, so seatbelt is okay, but a life insurance plan does not give any indication of a lack of bitachon. That's not that's not a lack of bitachon because here's an an opportunity that's a great opportunity pay a small amount that if, God forbid, a tragedy happens, your family can be taken care of. Now, that doesn't mean that you don't trust that Hashem can't take care of them. So I, I think like this. I I, I want to share with you, Just this has nothing to do with it. We'll get back to the, we'll continue the, uh, the, the book in a minute. But I'll tell you an amazing story. There's a great man, David T., says, a backup plan 
can be the recognition that there is another way, there's no way to know that even that will work out in, the, in that manner. Therefore, total trust is key before and after, as you described. Thank you, Rabbi. Okay, thank you, David. So here's the thing. So here's the thing. It depends on how high of a level someone has bitachon. Yes, yes. I think you trust Hashem 100% and there's nothing to worry about. I'll give you an example, another example, but remind me to get back to my story about Ravina Tom. We had an event on Sukkot and the event was going to be for the entire community. We had over 1,500 people at the event. It was an amazing outdoor event in the sukkah. People were dancing and there was activities for the children. It was fabulous. That morning, I wake up and I'm bombarded with text messages from people in the committee that are worried that it's going to be raining. And I said, I don't understand. Is there any single thing in this world that God wants more than Jewish people getting together? There's nothing that Hashem wants more than us to get together in the sukkah. And it turned out to be a massive event. I said, I believe that it's a lack of bitachon to even question whether or not it's going to be raining. And it, it turned out it was a stunning event. And in the middle of the event, suddenly there was a massive lightning and all the lights went out. And it was like, but the event didn't stop. And everyone, everyone enjoyed it. It was incredible. But 98% of the event had not a drop of rain. The other 2% was a little drop, a little teeny drop. Just to remind us, have trust, my dear friends, have trust. So let me tell you, let me tell you the story. So this is referring to life insurance that we mentioned earlier. There's a great early sage called Rabbeinu Tam. Rabbeinu Tam means the pure, pristine rabbi. Why does someone get such a name? So let me tell you the following story. This is this is the takana that he made. He made a, a ruling, a rabbinic ruling, that rendered him this name. So there's a law that, just a step back, when a couple would get engaged, the engaged would not be like we have today. The, you can get engaged and break the engagement. It really doesn't, there's no strings attached except for personal feelings, which is a lot of strings, but it's, it, there's no contractual agreement that we're going to get married. It's, we love each other and therefore we're going to follow through on this. But it used to be that it was half of a marriage, half of a wedding, that when they would get engaged, it was, she can't be with another man. He can't be with another woman. They're committed. And a year later, they would get married. They would consecrate that, that, that relationship. And, it was called Kiddushin, and then they had Nisuin. Today we do it all under the chuppah. Everything is taken care of at the wedding. One fell swoop, you're all good to go. But it used to be a long process. Why? Because the father of the bride would have to put together a dowry. He would get them pots and pans. He would get them a linen, and they would get furniture, and they would get everything together. It takes some time. So, but here's the, here's the catch. Because they're actually married, Right, they're not living together yet, but they're married. Everything that she brings into the dowry belongs to the groom. 
So now what would happen if, God forbid, before the wedding, the bride dies? What happens if she dies? The family of the bride would lose the dowry. So Rabbeinu Tam made a decree that if the girl never finalized the marriage for whatever reason of, of death, for whatever cause of death, the dowry goes back to her family. That was a decree of Rabbeinu Tam. So that's the reason he's called Rabbeinu Tam. So my rabbi asked, he says, I don't understand, because of this, because of, okay, so you saved them some money, so now what? He says, no, let me explain to you what happens. This girl, tragedy hits, she dies. The family's sitting there, and they're crying during the shiva. And they're so sad. Here was, she was such a promising young woman. She was going to have a family. She was going to be a great teacher. She was going to be a great uh, leader. She was going to be a great, inspiring person. And they're, they're mourning all of this, all of this painful recollection of this young woman. But Rabbeinu Tam says, there's going to be one more little kvetch. Oy! And we also lost the dowry. We also lost the dowry. That one little kvetch, one little cry, he took away from the mourning family. At least we didn't lose the dowry. That one little krechts that you took away, Rabbeinu Tam, pristine. You took away pain from someone. Unbelievable. So I think when it comes to life insurance, that's one little cry that goes away from the family. One little cry. They don't also have to worry how they're going to pay the bills the next week. So here's the thing. Here's the thing. I don't disagree with you, but in the context of Bitachon, I do. Now let me explain. Let me explain. I don't disagree with you that the backup plan is, is important to have, but does the backup plan become the essence of everything? And in many cases, it does. In many cases... The backup plan is like we trust, we put our faith in the backup plan. The highest level that one needs to be is where there's no backup plan because I know that Hashem will take care of it. Right, but here's the thing. That is such a high level of trust in Hashem. That's like the highest level of trust where you say, you know what, I don't have a backup plan. My backup plan is God. He can have a backup plan. Why should I worry about the backup plan? Okay, that's fine. We can talk a little foolish here. Here's, it's even more. We see that Yosef was punished because he put some trust in someone. He was trying to like, you know, just by the way, when you talk to Pharaoh, just don't, don't forget me. Okay. Like just a little, a little backup plan, you know, if my time, maybe I can get, he got for two words. He got an extra two years. All right, let's continue. Yeah, we're on page 33 on the bottom. Cast my soul. King David describes his before-the-fact or hope mindset as casting his soul to Hashem, looking to Hashem and to Hashem only for his needs. 
Contrary to what many think, King David says that one is certainly allowed to be a wishful thinker before the determination of an outcome and hope for the best. Wishful thinking. Ah, oh, I'm going to get... Yes, you're allowed... According to King David, that's perfectly fine. Be a wishful thinker. Look how he speaks to Hashem. Gladden the soul of your servant, for to you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. If you read it, actually, in the Hebrew, it's some, it says, Sameach nefesh avdecha ki eilecha adonai nafshi esa. I am completely devoted to you, Hashem, because I put my soul in your hands. He says, make, my, make the soul of your servant happy, for to you, my Lord, I cast my soul. Furthermore, King David explicitly connects casting his soul with bitachon and hoping for the best to you, Hashem, I cast my soul. In you, my God, I have trusted, so let me not be humiliated. Let not my enemies rejoice and triumph over me. So we see here that casting our soul on Hashem, putting our complete reliance on Hashem. I'll give you I'll give you a different example. Training wheels. Anyone familiar with training wheels? So when a child has a bicycle that they want to learn how to ride, what we do is we put on training wheels and they ride with the training wheels and then eventually they get used to it and we start slowly but surely taking off those training wheels. You can take off one side, both sides, different uh, opinions of what's the best way to do that. But either way, you hold on to the back of their saddle on the bicycle and you ride or run along alongside them and run alongside them. And at one point, what you do is you leave go. You leave go. And you see, are they wobbling or are they stable? If they're wobbling, what do you do? You grab back onto it. And if they're stable, you just run alongside them like you're holding them and they think that you're right there holding onto them. That is my metaphor for bitachon. Bitachon is where we are confident that Hashem is holding us and He is. And if God forbid we fall, He'll catch us, just like we would do for our own child. Hashem wants to see that we're on our own. Yes, we're on our own, but our reliance is always on Hashem. I, I use that when I talk about Abraham and Noah. What's the difference between Abraham and Noah? It says that Noah hayatzarich sa'ad letomcho. He needed someone to hold on the back of that saddle, and he says, "Don't leave go. Don't leave. Don't leave go. No, no." Okay, I can't ride this on my own. And Abraham did not need that. He was able to go on his own. He was able to figure it out. Figured it out. Had that understanding. He was able to take it on his own. That's the level of bitachon we want to get to, is that we can be without any worry, without any training wheels. We're just in Hashem's hand. That's it. And we know that Hashem's there to catch us. But I have complete reliance on nothing, not the training wheels, not my helmet, and not my, my pads on my elbow and knees. My complete and total trust in Hashem. That is the ultimate trust. The ultimate trust. And not only that, 
Abraham is confronted by the Almighty. God says to him, God adds that from your home, your home, from the house of your father, from the house of your... This is to make it more difficult. One second, one second. I'm, I'm, I'm the Abraham now, okay? Just a second, okay? God is talking to me. He's telling me, okay, leave your home, leave your father's house, leave your place where you grew up. Okay, God, no problem. Just, just tell me how to pack. Tell me how to pack. Is it going to be sunny where I'm going? Well, how should I pack, right? No, I know my son just went on a trip with his yeshiva today and he's like searching up what's the weather and the destination that they're going to. So he knows, should he pack a bathing suit? Should he pack a winter coat? Gotta know. God says, to the land that I will show you. What, 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 just, just tell me. I want to know. Well, that's a little bit lacking in trust if you were to ask that. Abraham packs his bags and goes. God said to go. He'll go. I'll go. What's going to be? What are you worried? Hashem will take care of you. God does speak to you like that every single day. That's what we know. No, 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 no. God speaks to us like that every single day. The problem is, is that we have to unwind our, or take the Q-tips in our ear and clean our ear so that we can understand the language. Hashem doesn't talk to us with words. Hashem talks to us with actions. Well, Hashem does talk to us with words, actually, through words. You know how many times I've had this situation where someone says something to me, and I'm like, what did you just say? And I was, I, to me, it was a clear voice from Hashem coming through this person. I would come to the math and I'm like, what, what did you mean when you said that? And like, what are you talking about? I, I have no idea what you're talking about. I'm like, you just came into my office and you said this and that. Me? I have no idea what you're talking about. Never said such a thing. No, no recollection. And I believe them. Hashem needed me to hear those words. And he put those words into what looked to me like that person. I hear it, and a few seconds later, it hits me like a lightning bolt. Oh my goodness, that was a clear message from Hashem. So Hashem does communicate with us. Hashem talks to us constantly. Every single person around you in this world is here as a messenger of Hashem. The Talmud says, a person should always say, the world was created for me. The world was created for you. You get that, Phil? The world was created for you. In that case, what is everybody else doing in my world? Hello? What are you doing here? Right? This is my world. Guess what? My grandfather, I once heard him say this. He says the miracle of this world is is that all the worlds come in combination. And they're able to coincide with one another. So here we have the world of Wendy. And we have the world of Terry and the world of Alex, etc., etc. We have each of us have our own world. And that world has its own private messages. It has its own special, unique relationship with God. In that world has its own special message that the individual in that world needs to receive. And all the other worlds coincide, each one serving as an angel each one serving as a tool to help us reach a better place. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. Hashem talks to us in various ways, and we have a very, very deep inside us, a, 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 a conscience, like you're saying, 
a conscience that guides us and, and we have to check ourselves to make sure that it's actually, you know, a conscience and not a, a temptation or desire that's pulling us one place or not. Uh, a person has to be uh, cognizant of that. But let's go back here and continue. Spiritual DNA. And this is a very important message that Rabbi Brody is imparting to us before we conclude this chapter. And that is, the marvelous aspect of the hope segment of Bitachon is that when a person strives for it and attains it, it becomes a kinyan ruchani, a spiritual acquisition. This is explained by Rabbi Isaac Arama in his book, Akedat Yitzchak. Every spiritual acquisition is a refinement of the soul, and every refinement of the soul becomes part of the spiritual DNA that a person passes on to his or her offspring. Do you know the inheritance we give to our children? is the spiritual DNA that we've acquired for ourselves. So when we're able to attain, when we're able to raise our children with the gift of them seeing their their parent having a relationship with God, that when the parent is worried, instead of going crazy and having a panic attack, they open up a Tehillim and they start praying, the reading the Psalms, connecting with Hashem. Therefore, one of the greatest gifts we can bestow on future generations is our own strengthening of bitachon, inasmuch we grant them the gifts of enhanced optimism and inner peace. The Talmud in Tractate Brachot 10a describes how King David's bitachon, which the bulk of this chapter and much of this book focuses on, gave a head start to his offspring 11 generations later with King Chizkiah. King Chizkiah was deathly ill. Isaiah, the prophet, visited him and told him that his days were numbered. He was being punished because he had never gotten married and therefore did not have children. King Chizkiah answered, Stop prophesying and leave. I learned from my great-grandfather, King David, that even even if a sharp sword is placed on your throat, don't lose hope in Hashem's mercy. King Chizkiah ended up marrying Isaiah's daughter, and he lived another 22 years. Just as his hope mindset of Bitochum worked so effectively for him, it can work for us as well. Whereas the so-called modern and enlightened throw away their past as antiquated or out of fashion, we do not. And as we know, we cherish our ancestors. But those who consider their ancestry of apes and monkeys, they don't cherish their ancestors because the further up they go back, the closer to the apes and monkeys. By us, we believe that we can't, we're a creation of Hashem. And the purest creation of Hashem was Abraham. And the, our parents, our grandparents, our great-grandparents are only closer to Abraham, where we want to be from. We hold previous generations in high esteem because each one is a step closer to our matriarchs and patriarchs whose rock-solid emuna and bitachon have been transferred down to us in our spiritual DNA. And Rabbi 
Brody here concludes, every morning in the Shachras prayer, in the Ahavas Olam, we say, for the sake of our forefather who trusted in you, as you taught them to wholeheartedly do your will, teach us too and let us be gratifying to you. Just as King Cheskiah invoked the spiritual DNA of his great-great-grandfather, King David, we invoke the spiritual DNA of our matriarchs and patriarchs, which gives us the potential to learn, develop, and internalize unshakable emuna and steadfast bitachon with Hashem's loving grace. Amen. So my dear friends, we have some work to do. And that work, just know, we have the ability to accomplish unbelievable things with our bitachon. We can be worry-free. We can be anxiety-free. We can be concern-free by just learning to build that relationship with Hashem to the highest level and letting go. And the more we do so, the more success we'll see in our everyday lives, living a stress-free and enjoyable, peaceful, harmonious life. Thank you, and Laila Tov. You've been listening to the Jewish Inspiration Podcast, a Torch production. Become a supporter at torchweb.org because your assistance enables more Torah learning around the globe. To find more lessons offered by Torch, please visit torchpodcast.com.